Hello, everyone, and welcome to Conversations with Kate. I'm so glad that you're with me tonight, and I'm very excited to introduce to you my friend, Dr. Lo Sprague. Welcome, Lo. Thank you so much, Kate. Thank you so much for having me, and thanks for the great job you're doing at St. James. You are the president of the Board Center, which is uh, an organization with the motto, Religion inside out and i uh, just i wonder if you could just say for us what does that mean religion inside <laughs> out <laughs> it sounds it, it i can't even imagine <laughs> <laughs> well thank you for asking religion inside out means that the board center was created so we could help people get to the essence of different faiths because underneath the dogma, underneath all of the good and bad that we've done, there is an essence that transforms the world. And so many people are turned off to religion today, will have nothing to do with it because they can't get through to the heart of it. And so the Gibor Center Religion Inside Out is about the heart of our faiths. It is about that force that brings change and love and goodness to people throughout the world. And would you say that every uh, religious tradition has that at its core? We've been doing this for a long time now, and I would say yes, that every religion at its core uh, reveres that which connects us to something greater than ourselves and has a mandate for us to do those things that make the lives of, of others and the planet healthier and better. Mm. So that's, our, that's sort of our overview tonight. But then to sort of find our way into that story of what you've been doing for the, these 10 years and, and what led up to it, I want to I wanna rewind all the way back to a question that I always ask my guests, and that is, are you a native Angelino? And if you're not, where are you from? I am a third generation native Angelino. My great grandmother came here with my great grandfather on my father's side uh, during the end of the, of the Franco-Prussian War. And he left to go back to Europe to gather the family's things and left his wife pregnant. And my grandmother was born here in the 1880s sometime. We don't actually oh know when goodness. she would never tell the truth about her age. <laughs> so a third generation Angelino, that is that is kind of a rarity, I think. Uh, at least among the guests that I've I've had on my show so far. And so did you grow up here right here in Los Angeles? I did. I grew up in Griffith Park underneath the observatory, almost directly under the observatory, when Griffith Park was still wild long before the golf course and long before um, the construction of the city. It was really a wonderful place of nature. And we youngsters literally ran up to the observatory and touched it almost every day. I can't believe it now. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's what an idyllic picture. I love that. By the way, um, our, our mutual friend, Reverend Betsy Anderson is in the chat right now and saying how proud you. she is to be your friend. 
Uh, and it looks daughter. like you two went to high school together. And so I'm guessing you went to Marlboro. Is that I right? Did. I did. Oh, yes. I, I think that's that's wonderful. And um, and so you were living here all those years. And I believe that your uh, your first career was as a a Jungian psycho and psychoanalyst. Is that correct? Actually, I was a Jungian oriented psychotherapist. Me. A Jungian oriented psychotherapist. Okay. Okay. And Which, so, so the work that you were doing with, uh, with your clients was, was informed by Jung, but it doesn't sound like it was a strict doctrine. Is that that's, right? co that, that's correct. My, my specialty was really in, in um, understanding human potentials and I did really whatever the client needed. So I did everything from psychodrama to Jungian work to whatever was necessary at the time. <laughs> Could you, um, because I've never, I've never experienced a Jungian influenced uh, uh, psycho, psychotherapist before, what would be an example of how Jung's thinking would uh, would in, would affect how you worked with somebody. Well, Jung believed that everyone came into this world with a path, and that what caused our maladies was that we lost touch with that path, and that the way that we would come back into balance was through the way that our unconscious would be talking to us through dreams, most profoundly. So that there was this thrust towards being well. And so as a Jungian uh, Orient psychotherapist, I would work with people with their dreams. I would work with them symbolically. Uh, I might have them create a mandala uh, of different aspects of their lives to see what was out of balance or what was missing. So th those are some of the ways that a Jungian would work with them. I love this idea that you're talking about of each of us having a path. It's not quite the same as a destiny though, is it? Or is it? I don't know. In, in, in some ways. preordained, but path seems more generative somehow. I don't know if that's true. Well, I, I think that's true, but I have to tell you as we get into Gwen's story, I also think that there is a destiny. I think there Good. is. Now that I'm at this end of my life, uh, the path. I, and, I, and I look back, I think there are some things that have been remarkable that have unfolded as as our lives have Wonderful. gone on. So, so your your own experience of what it means to be on that path. I'm, I'm really I'm really eager to hear more about that. So, so here, so you. Um, uh, where did you train, by the way? Did you go to one of the California schools? I well, I trained in lots of different places. Um, I, I did some work with a Jungian out of the Jung Institute and was in analysis there for a number of years, which one learns by going through the process. Um, I also got my degrees at UCLA. Um, I did some, I was a psychodramatist and was a board certified psychodramatist for many years. And uh, I also was on the faculty of California Family Study Center that was working with relationships mm. with families outside of mm. just working with individuals. 
I'm just going to ask, I know we have lots of things to talk about, but I'm just curious about psych, being a psychodramatist. Could you give us an example of what that looks like in a session? Oh my goodness. Um, what that looks like in a session is taking an experience that someone's had, uh, usually in a relationship, although not necessarily. For example, if, if someone was dealing with a death in the family, um, I might invite their recollection of that person to come into the room and I might ask them to reverse roles with that person and talk to themselves in a chair. That might be one of the ways that I would do that. Um, I remember a, a client once, this was, it takes courage to be a therapist, to be a good therapist. Um, I had a client once who was really frightened about her relationship with God and we just couldn't budget. And one day I said to her, you know, reverse roles and be God. And she looked at me and I thought, I hope the ceiling doesn't come in. <laughs> but what was so interesting is she had had this terror of God and saw God as a very angry being. And the minute she reversed roles, she became the most loving, compassionate presence. Oh, oh I love that. <laughs> that's, that's what psychodrama can do. Yeah. yeah. So, so this was your work for, I'm guessing, a number of years. It was. Yes. Yes. And, almost 40 um, years. Almost 40 years? Yes. Yeah. And, and when did you, you've, you've already mentioned Gwen. So for those of you who don't know this reference, um, tell us about Gwen Gibord. If you could just, well, give us a few sentences about her and we'll learn more in a few minutes. Oh my goodness. Um, Gwen was um, a, an Episcopal priest. She was a, a consummate interfaith uh, leader. She was somebody who was creative and bold and loving and always finding a way to connect with people, always finding a way to make you laugh when you least expected it. And her ability to make people laugh was a way to keep them from being frightened or too distant from her. When mm. people would talk about how wonderful she was, she might slip in a swear word that would just startle them. And <laughs> say, we're in this together. Yeah. Um, she, she, uh, when um, Jeffrey Shorey was being um, brought in as, as the presiding bishop, Gwen was in a line in one of the processions and it got to be very, very formal and people got a little bit nervous, unsure of things. And Gwen cracked a joke and it was a completely off the wall joke. I don't remember what it was exactly, but what was wonderful is when people walked in, they were all laughing. Aww. And there was just joy filled everything. And people afterwards just said, oh, that was what a lovely thing to do. So mm. she had the ability, that gift, to bring us together in surprising ways. And that led, didn't it, to the to the founding of the Gibord Center, which uh, which is a bringing together, isn't it? Yes, yes. 
Well, Gwen had a career. We, we met and we had a private practice together and we taught together for many years. Oh. Um, we had keyboard and Sprague Associates. And Hold on, we, let's, back, let's back up. How did you two meet? Because you were, for people listening, you were, you were life partners as well. We, we were. We met, well, I'll try to give you the short version of the story. Um, we, we met at a time when I didn't know whether or not God wanted me to be partnered. And I had some questions about whether I was supposed to be celibate all of my life or not. And so I had been very prayerful about that. And I basically said, God, it's up to you. And um, I walked into a classroom and Gwen walked in and a voice in my head said to me as clearly as we're talking right now, if you let her, you will, she will change your life. Um, so I took a big gulp and realized that she was a beginning student. I was a professor, which meant I couldn't say anything to her for the next three years. So, for, oh no. <laughs> so for that entire time, she knew nothing about me except that she valued me as a professor. And after that period of time, she wanted to be my intern. And I said, I can't do it. She said, why? And I said, because it would be unethical. And she was completely confused and said, why? And I said, because I'm attracted to you and I just can't, I, I won't do it. So she left and as she tells it, waited a respectable three weeks and then called me up and asked me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that was three years and three weeks from when you first met, right? <laughs> oh my goodness, yes. Oh, one that's of the, amazing. One of the very touching things about that story that I've thought a lot about since she passed away a year and a half ago was that Gwen said that after she left my office, she it was raining and she pulled over in her car and she started to cry. And she said, I've never known that kind of integrity. And that's the person who will stay with you no matter what all of your life. And the last 10 years of her life, Gwen not only created the Gibbard Center, she was also going through stage four uh, breast cancer. And I did stay with her all of, her life. And that's when we talk about destiny, I've, I've often wondered about that. You know, what, what an interesting that uh, voice, that voice, if you, if you stay with her, she'll change your life. Yep. Yes. So, so you went out on a date and then somehow you had a joint practice. Was she also a therapist? She had become a licensed therapist okay. before we, becoming a priest. Yes. Oh, yes. She had no intention of becoming a priest. She was a licensed therapist. She did a great job. We saw we saw clients during the week and then we trained therapists on the weekend because when you graduate with your license, you don't know anything about real life. So we we did that and we did a lot of workshops for the public, which was in some ways a training for the Gibbard Center. And then uh, in 1992, within three days i was diagnosed with breast cancer and gwen's sister was diagnosed with acute myelocytic leukemia oh. and obviously i survived cindy did not and mm. with cindy's death 
there was something that was broken open in Gwen. They adored each other and Gwen had raised her little sister. And afterwards, a number of months, well, shortly afterwards, Gwen had an experience. She'd gone upstairs, she laid down on the bed and she felt Cindy's presence in the hallway. And she turned and Cindy who had gone through terrible chemotherapy before she died was unrecognizable. And there she was standing completely well, completely healed. And she looked over and then walked out the door. Gwen didn't tell me that because she was tired. She was a therapist. She thought I'm losing my mind. And then many, many months later, she was awakened in the middle of the night by a voice speaking as clearly as I am to you that said to her, Gwen, now that this has been revealed to you, I want you in my service. She flipped out. She was sure she was psychotic. She did not tell me. She didn't tell anybody. It went on for months. She went to a friend's priest to talk to her. And Gwen just kept arguing with the voice saying, no, you know, Lois, the priest in the family, it's not me. I'm too old. I don't know about this. I'm, we're ready to retire. Wait, you're a priest as well? Wait, are you a priest as well? No, but she thought, Gwen almost thought of me as the priest in the family. What can I tell you? Oh, okay, 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 okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So one day she got up, she said, and she was sitting on the bed and she thought, you know what? Low is well. Her cancer is gone. I have a wonderful life. I have a wonderful family. God, if you're asking this and I say I've always loved you, I'd better say yes or something's going to be broken between us. A week later, Gwen Gibord, who didn't know what the word theology meant, was in Claremont School of Theology. A week later? Literally one week later, she got in in time to get into the summer semester. And within, before she was ordained, she was the ecumenical and interfaith officer of the UFMCC. And she found herself sitting in Geneva, Switzerland, across from the head of the World Council of Churches, talking about the World Council of Churches meeting that was going to take place in Harare, Zimbabwe. And he was asking her advice. And Gwen said she was sitting at the table and she was thinking, how did I get here? God, what are you doing? You know, so, it's amazing though. Sometimes when, when you're in that place of call, doors start to fly open, just fly it, open. And it, it was, I mean, it was ridiculous. She wasn't even ordained and there she is. And you know, it, it, typical Gwen, they had the meeting and afterwards she was speaking with him and he said, please come into my office. And they talked and talked and they ended up talking about his family and his kids. And she got to be therapist and they became great friends. So when, when Gwen received this call, um, uh, were you surprised? Yes. What was yeah, that meant yes. for you during the during this I was, I was, revealing? I, I was surprised not so much that she'd gotten the call because we'd been looking for a church for a long time and we just couldn't find one. 
but I was surprised that she hadn't said anything to me because we shared, I thought everything. And this was, she was so troubled and it was so private that she had not shared it. So because I was- Because it felt like that. mental illness, right? <laughs> it, it did. She, she didn't yeah. know if she was crazy. And of course, you know, she said what, we had a vacation paid for and everything else. And she said, what do you, what do you want to do? And I said, go, do it, do it. Forget the vacation, forget the retirement. When God calls you answer. Yeah, that's right. So, so she went to Claremont. She, she went to Claremont. Uh, she loved Claremont. It was the perfect place for her. She uh, excelled with um, metropolitan community churches and she she just did remarkable things M most people don't understand that the interfaith movement interfaith really didn't start until 9 11. before then interfaith meant only christian and jewish and that was only after nostra Aetate that happened in the 60s so interfaith work really began with 9-11 and Gwen had made friends with a number of the, the Hindu and, and, and different groups and, and the Muslims and different groups in Los Angeles. But um, she, she, there really wasn't a whole lot of that. And in the early days, interfaith work met people sitting together and discussing theology. It didn't mean yes. any of this other life stuff. So when I think of interfaith before 9-11, I kind of think of uh, Unitarian churches, you know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> a little of this, a little of that, um, as opposed to this sort of deep journey into like you were talking about the essence of faith traditions, right? That yes. beautiful, that yeah. beautiful, respectful process. So um, was, um, did you continue with your, your therapy practice and did she start serving a church or did she immediately, or did you all immediately form the keyboard center? No, 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 no. She, she worked with the church and I continued doing the psychotherapy work uh which kept me really busy and i was you know clearly supportive of her and you know we we did a lot of things together but th this was her her work and she she did that for a number of years with um ufmcc and they in 2003 they made a decision that they wanted to move away from doing the interfaith work and they wanted to do more political work. And Gwen, that, that, was, not, that was not what Gwen wanted to do. Wait, Gwen, what is the group that we're talking about right now? Gwen was originally part of the Universal Fellowship of Metropolitan Community Churches, which was the gay and lesbian community of churches. Oh, and okay, okay. she rose in that very quickly because there weren't a lot of churches that would accept somebody who was openly gay. And Gwen said, we've been together too long to pretend that we're not, and I'm not gonna do that anyway. So, right. so we, we yeah. did that. But in 2003, the uh, Metropolitan Community Churches decided that they wanted to be more political than, than really I, involved. Now I'm with you, yeah. 
So John Bruno, when he heard what that Gwen might be available, came to her and said, would you consider becoming an Episcopalian? And that oh. in fact, she did. So that's, that's how Gwen moved into the Episcopal church. And oh, Rose- Oh, that's wonderful. Yes. So she was, ta she was talent, talent spotted by, by Bishop Bruno. <laughs> I love that. Well, she was indeed. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, uh, and so then she was part of this diocese. Yes. And, um, and then did she serve a church before forming the keyboard center? Uh, she, no, she, she did. Well, that's not true. She served St. Thomas originally as she was being priested mm -hmm. and then she served St. John's, but she was also very quickly on the commission to do interfaith work in the Episcopal mm. Diocese mm. and became very well known in the Episcopal Diocese and then did work nationally with the Episcopal Church and uh, did some very, very important work and became well known within the Episcopal Church as well. So it sounds like the interfaith, um, the interfaith work was, was, was core to her call from the very beginning. It was, it was. Yeah. Gwen was always fascinated by the other. She always wanted to, to learn. She was open. She was enthusiastic and encouraging and loved, loved finding the holy in the other. Mm, and she, mm. That was part of her magic. She always Finding found the holy in the other. I love that. That's yeah. a great, what a claim to fame that is. Well, and that's what the Gibbard Center tries to do, because we all we all have the holy within us. We're all created by one one creator, and <laughs> and we all we all benefit in those relationships in finding the holy in the other. You know, through the over one hundred and twenty major programs that you all have have put on at the Geeboard Center in that 10 years, right? Um, I'm just curious if there are some moments that you remember when maybe Hindus and Buddhists and Muslims, different people from very different traditions experienced some sort of spark of understanding of the other that really uh, resonated for you. I think with the inaugural event, it happened. And the, the thing that was so amazing was to get all of these very, very different people together in the same place, doing a program for the same purpose, sharing their own music and their, their very different ways of doing it. But the experience was palpably of something larger than ourselves. And that, that was clearly, clearly present. And mm. people had enormous camaraderie that came out of that. One of the goals of the Gibbard Center was to help strengthen the relationships between religious leaders and give them an opportunity to get to know each other and spend time with each mm. other, to laugh with each other, to eat with each other, to, to be present with each other in a way that they couldn't do in other places. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. and we learn from one another. I mean, our advisory council meetings 
which can have you know 30 people at them are times when we'll discuss problems and issues that are going on and how our different faiths wrestle with them and what gives us solace and hope and help so mm. that it, it's been very powerful to do that and to, and, to, and to see people help each other across faiths yeah give me an example of that of helping each other across a faith across faith well i uh, one of the things that I think about is in in some of the in some of the struggles that have been out there, there there has been an issue about building trust. And one of the things that Gwen was able to do was to bring people together from very different traditions, and in some ways set the scene and set the parameters for it, so it was safe for them to safe space to figure it out uh, and and where they could talk about their hunger to meditate together. I mean, that's been one of the really interesting ones to see the different communities that meditate and almost all of us do to say, how can we learn about this from each other? How can we do this together? Or how do we rest? Mm. How do you rest? How does, how do you handle this with your congregation? There have been some very interesting conversations around some of this. How do you deal with politics? I mean, that that's been a, a live <laughs> for all of us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, Betsy actually is asking a question in the in the chat right now. She says, "How have other local faith traditions responded to the Gibord Center's enlightened vision of interfaith mission?" That's a, that's a really good, that's a wonderful question, Betsy. Um, we have always been respectful of the fact that there is a broad range of beliefs around certain topics. And we don't try to push any agenda. We are, are open to hearing people and appreciating where they are and why they are where they are. Uh, an example of that is we had Amy Jo Levine uh, come at, during a period and she is a First Testament scholar who teaches about first century Christianity because Jesus was a Jew. And we asked Amy Jill to come and to talk to us about the Holy Land, Palestine, and mm. what that how these different sides are looking at just the land itself. And mm. an understanding of that was enormously helpful in allowing people to hear each other on different sides. So what do you mean by the what do you mean by the land itself? Well the the land means different things to different people and to I don't know I don't know that I can do that justice right now but it's <laughs> watch the video it's, it's oh there's a video on this okay I will the other thing that the Gibor Center does is we've taped every program 
And though every one of those programs is available on the website and it's available for free anywhere in the world. And so we have people in internet cafes in Afghanistan looking at those videos and sometimes sending us some very interesting uh, emails like, how can this possibly be? How can this be? We did a program, Gwen created something called the Abrahamic Blessing, which was uh, something that, that she did at the inaugural event, which opens with a Jewish cantor stepping out into the congregation, doing his call to prayer. And opposite him comes a Muezin doing his call to prayer. And from the back of the church, you have a Christian cantor singing a blessing and the three of them weave that together and move into a unity. And that was filmed, that was done first at All Saints in uh, Pasadena. It was, it was created by Gwen for George Regas and the Muezin who did that um, shared that tape in the Middle East, and we discovered years later that during the Arab Spring, it was seen over a hundred thousand times because oh people were going to it for hope. You know, they were going we, to it for hope. Yes, we we that can it, do. This. You know, we we can do this. So it's been very important for us to tape everything and make mm-hmm. it available. We try to make what we do um, replicable so other people can do it. Uh, We've done a number of behind the scenes stories so other folks can do it in their own town with their own community. So um, we've been talking about your website for a minute and the web uh, site address is the Giboard Center. So the, and then Giboard, G-U-I-B-O-R-D, center.org. Oh, O-R-G, org, right. And there's a, there's a resource section on that website, and that's where all the videos live. The videos are throughout the website. You can, you can type okay. something in the search, and it'll bring it up for you. Oh, so. that's wonderful. That's wonderful. I'm teaching a, a fifth-grade comparative religion class these days, so I hadn't even thought to start mining those videos for material. That's good. That's going to be very helpful. Thank you. We started with the 101s. And one of the things that's a little bit different about the Board Center is that Gwen insisted that we always ask a faith group to tell us about itself. Because what happened early in the interfaith world was you always found Christians telling you about Muslims and Sikhs and Baha'is and uh, Jews and everybody else. And at the Board Center, we ask them to tell you about themselves. And yes, that's so, great. So that it's not so much about uh, interesting rituals, but much more about the heart of the matter, right? Absolutely. One of the one of the things we ask all of our speakers to do is to speak from the heart. Mm, facts mm. are facts, but the heart tells the truth, and it's important to 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 hear about a faith from someone who loves their faith and lives their faith. And that's something we've looked for at all of our presenters. And you can feel that they love their faith. And it's, it's- Oh, yeah. All right, now this, as I'm listening to you talk, 
um, about the work of the Gibord Center. I'm remembering again all those years which when you were serving as a therapist and helping people find their path and helping people find this 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 truth, this destiny, this essence in them. And I can't help but think that there must be so many ways in which that work that you did all those years infuses how you experience how how did how does your old world and your new world how do they how do they come together? Oh, I think they come to, together very nicely um, because, I mean, I, I think my goal in life is to try to help people to listen to that voice. And I think it is a voice of the holy that speaks to us. And I think we can find that in every faith. And you'll people who are good Hindus or good Jews or good Baha'is or Zoroastrians or or Muslims are good people. They're good people. They're doing good things. They're doing those things that we want human beings to do to make life better on this planet. Mm. And and I, I and we gain so much from interacting with each other. We learn so much from interacting with each other. Mm. You know, um, one of um, one of our parishioners at St. James Comfort, Agbunamiri, is in the chat, and she said, "I enjoyed watching your African spiritual roots of gospel music video." <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that that's I that was fairly wasn't that one fairly recent? It was. That was a year that ago. was yeah a year ago. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So. I want to talk just a little bit about how Gwen was able to do this work and battle cancer, if that's even the right verb. And 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 what did she do with cancer? Did she battle it? Did she transcend it? Did she make agreements with it? How 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 did she do it? She just did it. Um, she was in treatment. Um, ours, ours was a life that was filled with prayer. Um, it was very God centered. Um, and she had a wonderful oncologist who appreciated her sense of humor. Um, she, she said to him, you know, you have to get me through the end of the Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> that makes all the sense in the world to me. <laughs> I mean, really, I got to find out. And then I have to tell you, she was really, really, really annoyed that she was not going to get to vote when we saw the time was running short. You know, she, she had her head down in her lap when we got the final news, and all of a sudden her head shot up and she hit the, the desk with her fist and she let out a cuss word and she said, I'm not going to be able to vote. So. Oh. <laughs> but, but there must've been times when she was just exhausted from treatments, but this is there, but the work. Well, the, the work, the work went on. Um, she found a strength to do it. She found incredible courage to do it at the last um, National Council of Churches Buddhist Christian meeting. 
she was very, very sick. And she said to me, you know, you need to help me get in the elevator and get up and stand by me. And I don't know, I, I'm sure that people had no idea how really ill she was, but she had this ability to laser focus and transcend, and then she'd come home and collapse. Um, sure. And it wasn't, you know, when, when, when you're with somebody, when you're that close to somebody, you, you often don't see the battle. And when I came home from the funeral, and walked into the bathroom, I looked at the counters and there were just baskets of medications and they were all labeled and I had charts for everything. And I just stopped and looked at them and lost it. So yeah, it, because it was such a portrait of, yeah. of the courage that it took. Yeah. I, I was, I'm, when you yeah. talk about like having a God centered life though, it sounds like that's, her prayerfulness and her purpose, her path was yeah. so clear to her. <laughs> yes. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I, um, I only knew her toward the end of her life, but I always had the feeling that she was on a mission and she was just powering, powering, yes. powering along. That's absolutely, that's absolutely true. You know, and I've inherited that mission and discovered a little bit about the both the power of that and the and the gravitas of that. I mean, Gwen used to the, the joke between us was that she was the the soul of the board center and I was the engineer. You know, she held the vision and we made it happen. And in in holding the vision now, particularly at this incredibly disruptive, violent time when the Gibord Center is so profoundly needed, uh, I found myself being very quiet and very prayerful. And my staff is often saying, you know, well, what are we gonna do? And I'm going, we have to wait. We have to wait till the path clears itself and we know what our next step is. And so it's it's been very deliberate and very careful, and I think in some ways very different than some of the things that Gwen would have done. But it's right because it is that voice that is stepping in with a spiritual perspective into a world of conflict and trying to help us find that path through it that will bring healing and hope instead of more polarization to it. Yeah. And, 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 and on the note of hope, it, it makes me think about some of the, uh, the programming that you all have done with young people. Hmm. And, yes. and I'm wondering, I'm wondering how, how, how you experience that work as hopeful. Well, we have a wonderful director of children, youth, and young adult, Dr. Lisa Patrickwin, who has been marvelous. And she's worked very steadfastly and patiently with schools and with a number of organizations, building up the, the trust and the relationship. It's easier to talk about sex in schools than it is to talk about spirituality. 
And that's shocking to me because children we now know are born with a fully intact neural pathway for spirituality. And that's remarkable. That doesn't happen with human beings in many ways, but it does with spirituality. And yet we don't, we don't. Wait, will you just say that sentence? Will you just say that sentence one time? Children Children are born with a fully intact neural pathway for spirituality. Mm. It's there. It's natural. And kids will talk about it and often we shut them down. We get afraid. We don't know what to say. We tell them they're imagining. We tell them it's too big. And we know that when kids are supported in that, and that doesn't mean filling them up with religion. It means Mm. supporting their inherent spirituality. When that happens, we know that kids are much more resilient. They're far less likely to take drugs. They're far less likely to be promiscuous. They don't go into the same depression. So there's this struggle about how do we help schools encourage kids to ask the questions that they want to ask? How do we make it safe for them? about, uh, About meaning about meaning about why am i here and why do bad things happen and you know what what is goodness and how do i find my way through this i mean they're they're the important questions and you know why why is there evil and you know we don't have to give them the answers we have to make room I think that's the problem with most adults. So we think that we have to have the answers to all those questions. Exactly. Instead so of it's, space for the questions. So under the uh, with the guise of diversity, we're actually able now to go in in that way and say, well, let us let us talk to you about what Buddhism is, and let us talk to you about what Islam is, and let's bring someone in of that faith to share it with you. And in those ways, we can support them and give them room for some of their questions. And mm. it's, it's also a wonderful thing for any of us to experience being around people of other faiths. You know, it certainly mm. has broadened my understanding of the holy in, in huge yes. ways. What was, the, what was the faith tradition that you probably knew the least about when you began this work that's been kind of a revelation for you? I knew very little about Islam when we started this. And I didn't didn't realize that I had absorbed the mythology in the ethos about Muslim men being scary until I encountered Jihad Turk. And my instant experience of him was, what a kind man he is. And I was surprised by that. And it taught me something Mm -hmm. about the the prejudice, the unseen bias that I was already carrying. Uh, And I I really have been flabbergasted by the generosity and the kindness and the humility of the Muslim community. Um, I I knew very little about the Zoroastrians and and their generosity and uh, very funny quick story we made a film as you may know about what faith traditions uh have to say about animals and compassion yes as a part of that we were at the zoastrian community and we were we filmed there 
And when we came back the second day, there was a small wall that had been knocked down. And apparently they were doing construction, but we didn't know why it was knocked down. And when the Zoroastrian community came that night to worship, they had to wait for us because the filming was running late to get out of their sanctuary. And they were, they were very patient. And they thought that we had broken their wall. Yeah. We didn't find this out until afterwards. But when we came out of the sanctuary, we had made them late. They thought we had broken their wall. They had missed their sunset. And what did they do? They invited us to stay for dinner. They wanted to make sure we all had hospitality before we got on the road. They reached out in every way imaginable. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I hope they finally found out you didn't break their wall, though. <laughs> they eventually did. But the hospitality and the kindness of people is amazing. I know when Gwen wanted the Hindu community to, to, teach, to, to give a talk for us, Swami Sarvadevananda said to Gwen, oh, we, we will do whatever you want. But first, first we have to feed everybody. And Gwen said, Swami, there are going to be 60 people there. And he said, well, that's fine. First, we'll feed everybody. And they I did. love it. And that's, <laughs> that's such a perfect impulse, isn't it? It perfect is. Perfect impulse. You know, and wow. everybody fed us. I mean, we have... I have to tell you, the Gibord Center <laughs> has been amazing. I mean, we Shilai Temple has one of the best vegetarian meals in town. Uh, the, mm. the hospitality of, of everybody, the the Jewish community, this and the you know the the seders and the um, the breaking of the fast in different places. It, it, it's been tremendous. And Los Angeles, right? This this city. It, were you aware of the, the richness when you were growing up? Were you aware of what a hotbed of, of, of faith traditions this place is? What's interesting is as a kid, I was very interested in other faiths. And I read lots about other faiths. And I drove by uh, the Islamic Center. I never knew it was mm -hmm. there until we went to uh, an event there. I drove by Temple. It was invisible absolutely invisible i'm embarrassed to say and mm. we we have riches here in los angeles it, it's it's fabulous everybody's here <laughs> everybody's Every, here this year and one of gwen's goals with the Gibord center was to provide people a way to go into these different houses of worship yeah. because it's scary to try and do that by yourself. What, what do I do? What do I say? How do I do this? And so she wanted to make it easy for people to be able to do that. And, and so she, we did it. Yes, I know. And, but how has it been working this year during the pandemic? How, how have you been able to do that? Uh, let me sit up for a minute. Virtually. Uh, it's been very interesting. What what can I tell you? You've discovered the same thing. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> we've done different programs, and it's interesting that different programs have kind of fallen into our lap. Um, look, Frontier came to me uh, just before the lockdown, and he said, somebody told me I should call you while I'm in Los Angeles this one day, and he was a guy 
whose grandfather had fought in World War I, who kept these letters and these journals. And his grandmother always said, read the letters, go, go do that. And when he, when he did that, what he discovered was his grandfather's referring to the Muslims. And he's thinking, where do Muslims come from in World War I? And Luke discovered that his grandfather fought with all different faiths in the trenches in World War I. Mm. And so he did an amazing program for us that mm. shared the fact that in World War I, you had Christians praying in the trenches next to Muslims praying in the trenches, next to Hindus praying in the trenches, and they all had different dietary rules and they all made space for each other. And it was, it, it was an amazing story, but Luke brought wow. that to us just as, just as we were in the process of shutting down. So oh, that's amazing. I yeah. know. That's I know, amazing. Well, um, there's so many, there's so many things for us to watch and I, and I want to urge everybody at St. James to just spend time. Are we able to watch that animal video or is that by special request only? No, you're able to watch that. And we, and we have the animal video that we went back and we actually put animals in it. We couldn't afford to the first time, <laughs> but we did go back right. and put animals in it. So it's, That's it's, great. it's, I've seen it. It's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. There's so many great, great resources. And I can't wait till the world opens up again. And, uh, and, and, uh, all of us at St. James can get in on some of this uh, interfaith eating and interfaith learning and, uh, and fellowship. Let, let me do a plug for two programs that we have coming up and I'll, I'll tell you why. Right yes, now we're aware that people want to get involved. They want to do good things and it takes energy and stamina to be able to do that. And so the Gibord Center became interested in this issue of nonviolence and how do people sustain the work? And so we've turned to Swami Sarva Priyananda, who is the YouTube rock star. He's an electric speaker who is going to do a program for us at the end of this month on Gandhi's spiritual principles and practices that are the force behind nonviolence. And then in April, we have Valerie Carr, Valerie Kaur, who is a Sikh, who is the rock star on TED Talks these days. And she's going to talk about revolutionary love and her system of that. Mm. And very powerful way of learning how to do good in a way that is nonviolent, that is grounded and sustainable in community. So we're looking at how we bring those tools to people in this time with this. Yes. Need. And we'll be able to access these programs virtually, right? Just like, yes, just like everyone's doing tonight. I would, I, I, I would love to be um, putting these in our newsletter and making sure that everybody hears about them. They sound wonderful. I mean, this is, this is what we're all trying to do. We're all trying to learn how to live, how to live good and meaningful, purposeful, compassionate lives and you are such an example of that hey what is something you want to leave us with uh, the, those two plugs are great but what's a message you want to leave us with tonight Lo? um i i think it's that the holy is bigger than any one of us and the sacred is in is in relationship 
every time we come together, God is in our presence if we'll listen for it and reach for it. It's there. Mm. It's always there. Mm. Even virtually. Even virtually. <laughs> Thank you so much for this time tonight. There have been so many times listening to you talk that I've just gotten chills. There's such, there's, there's such clarity in the way that you uh, tell your story. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much, Kate, for what you're doing and for the wonderful work of everybody at St. James. We're very, very grateful Thank for you. Thank you. Good, good, good. Stay safe, everyone, and we will see you next week. Blessings.